0: Welcome to the sermon podcast from Free School Court Church in Bridgend. This podcast features sermons from the Bible, which are recorded at our Sunday services each week. To find out more, please visit our website, freeschoolcourt.org.uk, or find us on social media. There are two things that are necessary When someone asks us to do something that has to happen or be in place for us to get it done. If my wife Lydia asks me to take the bins out, I might be more than capable of doing so. But am I willing to do it? That is the question. That is what affects whether or not I will get it done. If someone comes to you and asks you to solve the problem of world hunger... You may well be willing to give it a try, but are you able to do it? Kids, if your parents come to you and ask you to tidy your room, I'm sure that you are capable of tidying your room, but are you willing to do it? That is the question. That is what affects whether it will be done or not. Say someone you love comes to you and asks to borrow a million pounds from you. You may well be willing to help them, but are you capable of giving them that sum of money we think about politicians and the promises that they make so often before they get into office then they get elected and whether those promises come into being are affected by these two things well maybe they weren't willing to follow up on their promises or maybe they were willing they wanted to but they were not able to put their promises into action for whatever reason In Mark's Gospel so far, through our series, we have seen two different main things in this opening chapter. The first thing that we saw of Jesus was his identity. We saw, first and foremost, Jesus' identity. Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God, to be God himself. Firstly, we had it declared in his baptism by the Father in heaven who declared, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And we've also seen how the demons that Jesus was casting out were able to identify him as the Holy One of God, as the Son of God, as God himself. So we've seen Jesus' identity. And the other thing, the other great thing that has come through clearly in this opening chapter is Jesus' authority. Jesus has had authority over demons, over sicknesses and illnesses. And we saw that as Jesus taught the word. As Jesus preached the word, the one thing people kept saying as they heard it was that he was someone who taught with authority, not like other people they heard. This was different. Jesus was different. He had authority over demons, sicknesses, and even his teaching was filled with authority. But as we come to this passage today from verse 40, something else comes into sharp focus, and that is not just Jesus's ability. We've seen that already now we see clearly Jesus's willingness, his willingness to do what it is that he came to do. And to feel the full weight of Jesus's willingness, we have to understand the nature of exactly what is going on here in this passage. In this passage, verse 40 to the end of chapter one, we meet this man who comes to Jesus, who has leprosy, Leprosy here is used to cover a range of different skin conditions. And he comes to Jesus, this man. And in the context, this should be a bit of a shock to us. Leprosy was something which was more than just um, an irritation, something that affected your health. It was something which completely affected your standing in society. This man was unable to participate in society in a normal way. Now, I think up until maybe just a couple of years ago, this is something that would have been hard for us to appreciate and to understand. But given what we've all been through over the last couple of years, this kind of thing actually is much more familiar to us than we might like. We've all experienced, haven't we, social distancing, being required to keep a certain distance from those around us and even the people that we love. We've experienced what it is to be unable to function in the way that we were used to within society, within our jobs. We've experienced what it is to have our religious lives disrupted. We've experienced what it is to be unable to come together and to worship with God's people, be that when churches were closed or when we ourselves were sick or were isolating, were unable to come and join in with the worship of God's people. And some of us, I'm sure, had that experience early on in um, the pandemic when we were out doing our essential shopping and someone would get too close to us in the shop and it was our instinct to jump back and withdraw from them. Well, for people like this man suffering with leprosy, with this skin condition, that was his day-to-day life, his ongoing existence. Those who had these kind of skin conditions, not only were they unwell, but they were considered unclean. They had to live apart from the rest of the people They couldn't get close to other people. Otherwise, they would make them unclean as well, and they'd have to go through a period of of time and of washing to be able to reintegrate into society. This man would have been unable to participate in his regular family life, in regular social life, and in normal religious life. He would have been unable to go to the temple to worship God, to participate in the festivals and sacrifices. And what is more, for the Jews, this skin condition was something that they knew or thought could only be cured by God himself. Only God himself could heal someone of leprosy. We have to feel the weight of this man's pain and anguish as he comes to Jesus to understand what happens here. Here's a man who could not get close to the people that he loved. Otherwise, he would risk making them unclean and making them ill as well. Everywhere he goes becomes unclean. If he goes into a house, that house becomes unclean. The people in it become unclean, and it all has to be washed and made clean again. We learned, didn't we, through the pandemic, that inside was bad, but outside was okay. There was much less risk outside. But for this man, he could not even sit under a tree because if, someone sat, if he sat under that tree and someone else came along under that tree, then they would become unclean. That's just how difficult the life that this man lived would have been. And yet he comes to Jesus. And note how as he comes to Jesus, it's cleansing that he asks for, not healing. First and foremost, he's looking for a restoration of himself into his family, into society, and into um, the religious life of his people, into being able to worship the Lord once again. And so he comes to Jesus And that should be a shock to us, that he comes to Jesus. And what should be even more of a shock to us is that Jesus doesn't recoil from him. Jesus doesn't run from him. We don't know what the reaction of those who were with Jesus, if his disciples were with him at this time. We don't know what their reaction was as this man approached. Did they jump back, move away? They may well have done, but Jesus didn't. In verse 40, we see that this man with leprosy comes to Jesus and begs him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper evidently knows. We don't know whether he's heard Jesus preaching before. We don't know whether he's seen Jesus from a distance, healing other people. We don't know whether he saw Jesus himself, but he has at least heard of what Jesus is able to do. Because as this man comes to Jesus, note how there's no doubt in his mind that Jesus could do what he was asking him to do. This man has no doubts in his mind that Jesus is able to do what he is going to ask him to do. The question on this lit, the, the lips of this man is Is Jesus willing to do what he comes to ask him to do? Is he willing? And note Jesus' re- response, verse 41 Jesus is indignant. He's angry. I think angry that this man would question, knowing that he had the authority to heal him, that this man would question that he would be willing to do it. Of course, we know of Jesus now that he is full of pity, love, and power. He is both able and he is more than willing. And that's what he does. Not only does Jesus not recoil, but he reaches out. He does the unthinkable. He touches this man. He touches him and says, be clean, and immediately he is both healed and cleansed. Jesus reaches out and touches this man. Everyone since this man had been ill, who had come into contact with him, had become unclean. Everyone, every single one who had come into contact with this man, or who had even been where he had been, became unclean. They got pinged, so to speak. They had to go into self-isolation, as it were. But not Jesus and not his power. As Jesus reaches out to touch this man, not only does he not become unclean, but the man himself is cleansed. Once again, Jesus has shown that he has God's power, that he is God able to heal. And he shows us here that God's goodness, his uh, holiness, his grace overcomes even this man's sickness. And uncleanness. Jesus is willing. He was able and he was willing to heal this man. And he moves towards him. He touches him, heals, and he cleanses him. And not just this man, but all who come to him in faith. He moves towards them. He touches them. He helps them and heals them. And this has huge implications for us, doesn't it? If this is what Jesus is like, This has huge implications for us. This man was cut off by his uncleanness, cut off from society, cut off from being able to worship God in the given way at the time. And so it is with us, by nature, naturally. Our uncleanness, our sin, cuts us off from God, from the relationship with God that, as Trev told us, we were made to know. God is perfect and holy and pure And we, with our sinfulness, having rejected God, turned away from him, are unholy, impure, unclean. And yet Jesus provides cleansing through his perfect life, which becomes ours through faith. Through his blood, through his death on the cross, the Bible tells us that we are cleansed of all unrighteousness. We are made clean through Jesus, through faith in him we come to Jesus and see that he is able to make us clean and he is also willing to make us clean. As we come to him simply in faith, asking him, is he willing and is he able to make us clean? And he says, yes, he is able and he is willing. So let's come to him in faith and receive cleansing from our sins. And we all need to do that for the first time when we first come to Jesus, when we first become Christians. And once we do become Christians through simple faith in him, it's true that we are secure forever. His children forever. Yet 1 John chapter 1 talks, doesn't it, of us confessing our sins and Jesus purifying us from all unrighteousness. This is something that uh, makes up an ongoing part of the Christian life. To come to Jesus with our sins. With that which makes us unclean and confess it to him knowing that he will reach out and touch us, as it were, and make us clean. This is Jesus's posture and heart towards us as people who fall and sin, even as Christians. So often we find ourselves, don't we, wandering from him, turning from him, sinning by accident, sinning sometimes on purpose, knowing full well what we're doing. But Jesus is heart towards us is that as we come to him in faith like this man having faith in his ability to cleanse we find that he is willing to cleanse us he's willing to reach out to forgive he does not recoil from us he never will he moves towards us he touches he cleanses and that means that we shouldn't be hesitant in coming to jesus we should come confidently Confessing our sins because he delights to cleanse and to cover sin. If we try and hide our own sins, if we question his willingness, then maybe he'll be indignant with us like he was with this man. Because he is willing. He is able and he is willing to cleanse and to heal. This leper didn't hide his condition from Jesus. He exposed it so that Jesus could cleanse it. And so it is with us and our sin. We should come to Jesus, not hesitantly, but openly, confessing our sin, exposing it before him, because he delights to save. And he never tires of it either. It's easy for us to think, isn't it, that maybe the first time, we we can understand that maybe the first time we come to God and ask for forgiveness, the first time that we come to Christ, he'll be willing to help us then. But after that, we're on our own second and third time, maybe even then he'll reach out and touch us and cleanse us. But beyond that, surely he doesn't want to. Or or maybe he will, but he gets tired of us. He gets bored of us. Maybe if you went to your doctor's surgery three times a week and kept bringing different problems to them, maybe they would get tired of you eventually. But not so with Jesus. He never tires of us. He's not hesitant about healing us. No, If anything, he doesn't tire, he gets more tender. The more that we come to him, the more that we need him, he's more tender, more gentle in the way that he deals with us. This leper, I don't think he tried to heal himself first. I don't think that he got some first century concealer and tried to cover up the marks of his leprosy. Thinking that if he didn't have quite such a severe case, then maybe Jesus would be more able or more willing to help him. And so it is with us. We don't try and cover up our sin. We don't try and even improve ourselves a bit before we come to him. Not only is that unnecessary, but that's even offensive to Jesus. Because he loves to deal with our sin properly. Only he can do that. And he delights to do it. To deal with our sin properly. And so we come to him for the first time, for the 500th time, for the 1,000th time. And so it goes on. We come to him in faith so that he can deal with us as we need him. Two. and the point in 1 John chapter 1 is that this is how we have fellowship with God through doing this this is what it means to walk in the light in fellowship with God and with other believers to come to him confessing our sins and letting him deal with them when we try and hide our sins when we try and deal with them on our own that's how we block our communion with God that's how we get in the way of our relationship with God whereas when we come to him Exposing our sins, confessing them. It's there in the light that we have unhindered communion with Christ. Now there's an interesting follow-up to um, what happens with this man. We see this in verses 43 and 44. Jesus tells this man, "'See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest "'and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them.' "'Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news.'" As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus gives this man a strong warning not to tell anyone, but instead to go and do what was required of him, having been cleansed, so that it would be a testimony just to the priests that Jesus had been able to heal him. Jesus was who he said he was but that's not what this man does. This man goes and tells everyone. We don't know if he did go and talk to the priest, but we do know that he went and told everyone. Now, of course, we cannot defend this man's disobedience to Jesus, but it does show us, doesn't it, that those who have had an encounter with Jesus could seldom stay silent. And it begs the question of us, doesn't it, if we've had an encounter with Jesus, if he truly has saved us from our sins, then why are we so keen to stay silent when he has commanded us, unlike this man, he has commanded us to share it with those around us. And Jesus orders this man to be silent because the growing crowds are becoming a hindrance to his ministry. So we might think that Jesus gathering a crowd was a good thing, but in Mark's gospel, the crowds are these apathetic people who are not responding in faith, They're just following after to see what is going on. And they're actually placed in contrast with the individuals who come to Jesus in faith. And often, as we see in the next section, these crowds actually get in the way of those individuals who are coming to Jesus in faith. And this chapter finishes with this stunning reversal. The man who has been shunned by society, who was forced to live outside the villages in the lonely places, is restored As he's cleansed by Jesus. And yet Jesus is forced to go and live out in those lonely places because the crowd are such that he cannot even enter into the towns. The Bible shows us that the only way that Jesus could ransom, heal, restore, and forgive humanity was for him to take all of these things upon himself. And this is what Mark is showing us here. Jesus taking this man's societal rejection upon himself and going outside the cap, as it were and yet even there the people still come as we enter chapter 2 we find Jesus back in Capernaum and the crowds are following him once more the crowds are listening to him preaching the word but they're also getting in the way you see verse 2 the crowds are gathering in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door and he's preaching to them and yet we now meet a man who's got some great friends. I wonder, would your friends be willing to dig through a roof for you? Because that's what we find here. We find a man coming, a man paralyzed, brought by his friends to Jesus. They cannot get to Jesus through the regular means, through the door. And so thinking um, ingeniously, they decide to come through the roof instead. And this is a thing that they would only do if they were motivi- motivated by faith in what Jesus was able to do. Maybe they could be motivated, I suppose, by desperation. But we see here, Jesus recognizes this for what it is. It's an act of great faith faith in Him, faith in what He is able to do for this man. Jesus recognizes that, sees this man's faith. But again, his response here is slightly strange isn't it it's obvious isn't it that jesus uh, that these men came to jesus with their paralyzed friend wanting jesus to heal this man and yet what is jesus's reaction in verse five when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralyzed man son your sins are forgiven son your sins are forgiven We might think at this point really jesus really you can see what this man wants why are you starting with that? Well, maybe this story will illustrate it for us, what's going on here. Imagine that you are out for a walk in the hills. It's a hot day and you get thirsty. You're desperate for a drink. You see ahead of you that there's a stream running down the side of the hill. You get to the stream, find that it's flowing with slightly murky water. You're so desperate for a drink that you collect some in your flask And you drop into it a water-purifying tablet. Fine. You're sorted. You're able to have a drink. That's great. What you also could have done is taken a few steps further upstream and seen that there was a dead sheep lying in the stream. And that's what was polluting it and making it unclean. And you could have pulled the the dead sheep out of the stream and had a drink of clean water. You see... Sins and sicknesses are connected. It's not that this man's paralysis was the result of specific sins in his own life, but the result of sin in the world generally, as all suffering and sickness is the result of a a fallen world, a broken world in rebellion against God. The Old Testament recognizes this. In the Psalms, we see different passages where sicknesses and sins are linked. Our opening reading Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. We saw even in our last story, didn't we, the link between cleansing and healing. And what Jesus is doing with this paralyzed man is he's taking a step upstream. He could have healed this man, dealt with the initial problem that he saw right before him, but he takes a step upstream to deal with the more important, more dramatic, more foundational issue, which has caused ultimately the second issue sin. He deals with sin first, the reason for sickness and suffering generally. And Jesus follows it up with the healing, which gives evidence to the truth of his claim that he was able to forgive sins. Did you know how in this passage, the teachers of the law objected to Jesus claiming to speak for God in the forgiveness of sins? They said that was blasphemy. That was something that only God could do. Jesus didn't have the right to do that. Of course, it never entered their minds that Jesus might well be God himself, come to earth. And yet it's that truth which is being revealed to us in Mark's gospel, that Jesus is God, that he's able to do things only God can do, heal sicknesses, forgive sins. And not only is he able, but he's willing. He's also willing to do it. These teachers think that Jesus is blaspheming, and of course, they have no way of seeing whether this man's sins are really forgiven. They couldn't see that. That will only be proved on the great last day of judgment. But that's why Jesus follows this up with the healing. Having stated that this man's sins were forgiven, he heals him. Verse 10, we see that he heals him, so that I want you to know, as he says to them, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus forgives his sins and proves it by healing the man. And praise results. The people praise him because they've never seen anything like this before. When we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, we receive the forgiveness of sins. Our greatest need, foundational, greatest need. And it is unseen, isn't it? Though it should be experienced and lived out in our lives. And when we receive the forgiveness of sins, we also receive a guarantee of future healing. More than that, of a future resurrection. Of course, our um, sicknesses may not be healed in this life, but they will be healed in the life to come. If our faith is in Christ, we all have the resurrection to look forward to and we'll all rise in the new heavens and the new earth into a world without sin and without sicknesses. And so let's ask the question, are you right with God? Do you know sin's forgiven? If you don't come today, he is able and willing. And this man and his friends show us that we have to be prepared sometimes to break down barriers, or rather roofs, to get to Jesus. And there are things that will stop us from getting to Jesus in this life, aren't there? Um, Whether it's the awkwardness of coming to Jesus, we feel self-conscious about confessing our need of him and coming to him. Whether we're worried about what our friends or our families will say if they find out that we've become a Christian. Maybe we have a spouse or family that make it difficult for us to become a Christian. Maybe we think that coming to Christ will mean that we have to give up things that we love. And maybe it will. But Jesus tells us in Mark's gospel that those who have forsaken things to come to him will be repaid a hundredfold in this life. And eternal life in the life to come. And this passage also presents a question for us about our priorities. Our priorities. Jesus clearly shows us in this passage that our priority should always be on our sin and on repentance and faith. And I wonder if that, if that, is that true in our individual lives? Do we spend as much time as Christians confessing our sins, repenting, looking to Jesus once again, praying that God would help us to live holy lives as we do thinking about our physical needs? Is that true of our lives, our spiritual lives? As a church, as we spend time in prayer together, do we spend as much time praying about repentance and about our holiness as we do praying for physical needs? Those physical needs are, of course, important, and we should remember those in prayer. But do we have enough of a priority on holiness and on repentance and on sin? Jesus shows us here that that has to come first. In our priorities. And let's remember, let's remind ourselves once again that we commune with Christ as we confess our sins, as we come to him in repentance. It's there in the light that we have true and living relationship with him. And he is willing and able to help us and cleanse us as we come into the light in faith. And it's because of the posture that he has towards us, because of his heart towards us, that that is true. Remember, as we come and confess, he won't recoil from us. He'll move towards us to help us, to cleanse us. Of course, he will judge sin when he returns. He will. But for now, as we come to him in faith, humbly recognizing our condition, his heart towards us is one of willingness to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great truth that we see in your word that as we come to you in faith with humility recognizing our need asking for you to act that you are so willing and able to help us we thank you and praise you for that and pray that each and every one of us would come to you confessing our sin asking for healing and cleansing and that you would be pleased to grant that to us we pray in jesus name Amen.